This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. This episode is brought to you by Diamond Nexus. They say that diamonds are a girl's best friend, but are they really the planets? As jewelry lovers ourselves, Lisa and I are excited to recommend a sparkly and ethical option. Diamond Nexus creates gorgeous, lab-created diamond simulates that cost up to 80% less than mine diamonds, so you can wear a guilt-free statement piece the next time you're out on the town. Good Together listeners can get an additional 5% off ethically made lab-created diamond simulants with code GOOD5 at diamondnexus.com slash goodtogether. In the wake of the COVID-19 crisis, putting together a healthy pantry and thinking of creative ways to eat consciously has never been more important. Do you feel like you're cooking more than usual, Lisa? Yes. Oh my God. Right? And does the thought of meal planning or heading to the grocery store amidst the uncertainty of today make you feel just a little bit uneasy? Absolutely. In this episode, Laura and I interview Sophie Egan, a New York Times contributor, Stanford lecturer, and author of How to Be a Conscious Eater, Making Food Choices That Are Good for You, Others, and the Planet. She shares tips on how to read labels for packaged foods, smart ways to stretch your ingredients, and more. If you're wondering how you can live ethically and sustainably in this time of need, we've got tips for you. And if you're looking to join the conversation with us, Laura and I just launched a new initiative to support our community. We're doing virtual coffee chats every Wednesday at 12 p.m. noon Pacific time. We're coming together to brainstorm creative ways to help others around the world. Bring a cup of coffee or your lunch and join us. To sign up, visit brightly.eco slash coffee. And with that, let's get started. Okay, Sophie, thank you. Welcome so welcome to Good Together. We're thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so um, I wondered if you could start off by giving our audience a little bit of an overview about yourself um, and about what inspired you to write uh, your new book. Absolutely. Well, thank you for the opportunity. So I, my name is Sophie Egan. I'm the author of the book, How to Be a Conscious Eater, Making Food Choices That Are Good for You, Others, and the Planet. And I'm also the founder of Full Table Solutions, which is a new consulting practice that's a catalyst for food systems transformation. So I'm really working with uh, companies, organizations, uh, colleges and universities, uh, as well as policymakers to accelerate solutions at the intersection of food, health, and climate. This builds on work that I've done um, for throughout my career. I, for the past five and a half years, I was the director of health and sustainability leadership, as well as the editorial director for the strategic initiatives group at the Culinary Institute of America. And what that means is uh, I worked across the $860 billion U.S. food service industry, leading thought leadership initiatives for how to make menus healthier and better for the planet. This was everything from phasing out antibiotics in the meat supply to increasing fruits and vegetables and whole grains, reducing added sugar and added sodium, uh, reducing portion size, 
um, all of that kind of good stuff. And really based on the premise that at scale, really large volume food service companies, everything from K-12 school food and fast food chains to corporate dining and campus dining, um, at that scale, really small changes can make a huge, huge impact on human and environmental health. Um, so I am really happy to continue working with the, the, the CIA, as it's called, uh, <laughs> as, a, as a client, the good, the good CIA, or, or the, the, the one I can tell you about. That's um, right. <laughs> yeah. And the CIA is now a client, and I continue to be the co-director of a really cool initiative called the Menus of Change University Research Collaborative. And this is a partnership of the CIA and Stanford that uses campus dining halls as living laboratories for behavior change. So what are the most effective ways to shift um, habits uh, in favor of wasting less food? Um, That's huge. I mean, I remember when I was on, in college, I actually worked for the campus sustainability department um, as an intern. And a big project of mine was trying to think through the impact of the dining halls and just like the sheer amount of food waste that was happening there. And so I love that there's a new initiative about this. That's, that's so interesting. Yeah. Well, and power to you. That's great to hear. I mean, it's really, that's one of my favorite things about the collaborative. It's, it's a network now of 60 colleges and universities all across the country. Um, and it works, it brings together academic scholars who uh, have often never interacted with chefs or dining leaders, as well as administrators who really make those, those high level campus wide decisions. Um, you know, how do we decide to be a, a carbon neutral campus, for example, or a healthy campus in the case of something like UCLA um, or the UC system more broadly. Um, but I really love working with students, especially. Um, so anyway, that's, that's a bit about uh, the background that I've um, had over the, throughout my career. And I also should mention, I, I write for the New York Times health section um, and, and really love answering reader questions. So I, uh, that's a big part of where this book came from is providing enough information to make an informed food choice, um, but not the encyclopedic version. So it's really the bottom line answers to those most top of mind questions about what to eat. Love it. Yeah, and I was going to say that uh, you shouldn't be shy because you you have wrote for, in your writing for New York Times Health Section, you wrote for Washington Post, The Wall Street Journal, Bon Appetit, Wired, and I'm sure that's just, just a few of the ones that I found. Um, recently and i love 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 the uh, your focus on kind of like um solutions that are scalable and can create really really massive impact um, um that is awesome and, and this is kind of like systematic change but i also love your thoughts on like kind of how to create sustainable small actionable tips and that's we will obviously jump into that um during our conversation this is kind of what our approach at uh, good together and brightly as well um so my question is uh, kind of like the, the opening questions, like a, a very generic one. What does conscious eating mean to you personally? Yeah. So conscious eating, the way I just define it in the book is really uh, an intention to align your food choices with your values. And I offer a three-part mental checklist for doing that. That is asking yourself three questions of when deciding whether or not to uh, put a food in your grocery basket or in your uh, delivery cart or in uh, or to order a food, and that is, is it good for me? Is it good for the other? Good for others? And is it good for the planet? And I define others as all of the food, all of the animals and people affected across the food system. So from farm to fork, or from farm to grocery basket, um, everyone involved in the in the supply chain that really is the um, the reason you're able to enjoy that food. So it's things like animal welfare and social justice for workers in, involved in, in food production. And conscious eating is not a diet. It's not about giving up all the things that you love. It's um, about uh, gaining a more holistic uh, set of criteria through which to um, determine whether foods are worth your grocery dollars or worth your, your dollars overall. And, and also it's a lifelong pursuit, not a quick fix. It's not uh, one of the, my really key messages is to not let perfect be the enemy of good. And by that, I mean that it's, uh, there's constantly new information coming forward, new areas of transparency in the supply chain that we weren't aware of before. So how could we have made decisions based on those things? For example, fraud in the seafood industry and, and labeling, um, you know, forced labor in um, 
the seafood industry as well as uh, also in chocolate production. So as these new issues come out of darkness and into the light, um, it's it's just having that that intention to uh, t- to match your choices um, in response, um, so that you can be supporting. You know, as as it's, as is often said, so that you can be voting with your fork. Uh, with your grocery <laughs> I love it watching with your fork yeah and it's uh, this is something exactly kind of the the thoughts process that we go through with Laura together um, you know we had uh, we had talked about like how your food choices are impacting the environment and you know the world at r- large at the same time you know neither me or Laura vegetarian or vegan um, and we also realize that some people are extremely passionate about these issues sometimes are less passionate but we always encourage people to kind of be okay where we are you are at and understanding what are your core values are and starting there because even all of the issues that you've just mentioned briefly it's so easy to get overwhelmed right with oh, yes. uh just trying to uh check mark every every box and make sure that it's mm-hmm. Um, your food choices are perfect in every sense, which is, of course, it's extremely difficult uh, to to be perfect. Well, and I think it's so important that you that you mention that because that's a really big driver for me too with this book is to address the decision fatigue and the information overload. Um, the the book ha- is very visual and it's very um, short and sweet answers um, or, or essays um, with really practical, I call it a radically practical approach to conscious eating because it's not aiming for checking all three boxes with every single item you put in your mouth. I mean, that would drive any person completely insane. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And you know, the other thing too is, you know, what we put in our bodies, what we choose to eat is just one part of being a conscious consumer. And so totally agree with you about not wanting to overwhelm people and giving them really quick frameworks to to operate from. Um, so I love those questions that you shared earlier about like, who does this affect, et cetera. Um, so I kind of wanted to shift to something very timely for us right now. So, you know, at the recording of this podcast, we're in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis and we've gotten tons of questions from the Brightly community about how to grocery shop and be a conscious consumer at the same time. Um, Of course, more people are facing um, time at home. So, you know, on the one hand, there's a lot of people trying out new recipes and maybe becoming a bit more thoughtful about like how they're cooking. But at the other hand, um, you know, people are facing ingredients shortages. Um, They're not necessarily able to get out and shop as much as they used to. So I wondered if you could share some tips that are kind of specific to the current climate that we're in right now, Sophie, but also, of course, could be used at later times. Definitely. And honestly, this is what I'm spending most of my days thinking about. Um, And I've been calling it Corona conscious eating because... That's good. I like it. (laughs) I mean, it's just the, the realization too, that in the long run for each of us, what it means to be a conscious eater is going to change over time. You know, I most often prior to COVID um, into this crisis, I, w- I would point out the ways that just life changes alter the hierarchy of your values or, or the, the, the things you're prioritizing. Like if you, when you have children, if you have children, um, all of a sudden you're looking, you're paying attention to things you weren't paying attention to before. If you move cities, if you change jobs, if you move to a different, um, just a different community, maybe one that's more urban versus more rural, all of those things will shift um, the factors. And it's not, as we said about aiming for all of them, but how to, um, prioritize, uh, and, and make choices in and that ultimately you feel good. Some of the things I'm thinking about with a, a healthy, um, you know, healthy pantry is, is a top of mind topic for people. Uh, one of the main kind of reframings of that that I, I think is important is also to just think of your freezer as an extension of your pantry. Uh, yes, a hundred percent. Because ultimately the goal is to do fewer trips and to have your food last as long as possible. And not only last, but to go to make the best use of all the food. So whole product utilization is really especially important. Um, so that that's a first point. And, and I share that because one of the things that I'm hearing a lot of is that um, you know, well, it's, it's too hard to eat produce right now because 
um, is going to go bad. It's not going to last a long time. And that's a concern for me at this, because of the fact that, you know, eating the rainbow full of <laughs> nutrients and vitamins, um, fiber, um, and just generally being good, healthy things to eat, um, is actually, it's more time tied to immune system or is tied to immune system. So it's almost even more important, um, than normal to eat, um, to, to enjoy plenty of produce. But yeah, you- absolutely. I feel like too, there's, there's a way, you know, there's specific ways to shop for things based on how, how long they're going to last you. Right. So of course, like, you know, if you've got something that's highly perishable, you can kind of go through that first and then maybe kind of work your way down. I'm always like playing this guessing game with how long my arugula is going to last me, <laughs> depending <laughs> on, um, I, my, my family, we we love arugula, but we're always trying to figure out you know, it, when was it picked and like, how long is it going to last? So, so I wonder, like, have you ever thought um, about kind of coaching people through that perspective through like a time-based thought to yes. produce? <laughs> it's so funny that you say that because um, uh, pre-coronavirus, that's how I would do my meal planning um, it, to avoid waste is that if I shopped on, on a Sunday, I usually had about three dinners worth and I would always make, you know, the, the, let's say I got fresh, um, chicken or a piece of fish or scallops or something like that's the item that's got to be cooked that day. Um, and then I would have actually a a midweek meal that was almost like what coronavirus type of eating would look like, which is all pantry items like sweet potatoes that last a super long time in your pantry, um, canned beans, um, you know, maybe shredded cheese, which like in your fridge can last a bit of time. I would make like sweeted, uh, loaded sweet potatoes. Um, but it didn't matter what day, like it could, whatever happened in the hectic, um, cycle of the week, uh, it wasn't a perishable, uh, meal. And I think in general, building in that resilience into your meal planning post coronavirus is going to be a really good approach of what do you have on hand for that, you know, crazy night, um, that can last, that, that can be as good today as it could be next week. So anyway, to the, to the bigger, um, kind of point on, on pantries, fundamentally, and you touched on this a little bit, uh, at the opening foods that come from the ground <laughs> tend to be the healthiest and the most, uh, environmentally friendly. So plant-based foods is often what is talked about. I suggest not necessarily going vegan, vegetarian, unless you want to and power to you. And that's great. Um, but it's for the long run and much easier to sustain, um, what's more likely referred to as a flexitarian diet, right. Or a plant centric, plant rich, plant forward that emphasizes or has a greater proportion of the total food you eat, um, that happen to be, um, from the plant kingdom. So in a pantry that really comes down to things like beans, the whole legume category is really having its time in the sun right now. Um, much deserved. These are humble and very affordable and very versatile items. So, uh, and I think for a lot of people, what I would, um, think is a new learning is how much variety there actually is. So you mentioned things being out of stock. Maybe you're more comfortable with, oh, I'm looking for cannellini beans or I'm looking for black beans. There are so many kinds of beans. <laughs> um, so there's, there may be that there's some learning. I, I for example, recently cooked with black eyed peas for the first time. Um, Cause I just was like, oh, I guess uh, that's what I'm doing. And I've always done beans and greens as a, a dish I love to make with any kind of be- any kind of greens, arugula sometimes or chard or spinach. Um, and usually it's just with cannellini beans and shallot and put it on toast. Like it's a great easy meal. Um, but beans and greens can be any type of green and any type of bean. <laughs> so that sounds very corny, but I think it's actually important to note that when, especially having that flexibility with recipes, as you said, if something's not in stock. So it's lots of, of whole grains, um, legumes, not only beans, but chickpeas, lentils, um, and other plant proteins. Plant oils also um, for cooking are super important. Um, and they last a really long time, if, especially if you keep them in, in good storage, like away from light, away from uh, heat. Um, and then herbs and spices are important. They don't need to be expensive, but one of the things that is really important to note is if you are cooking from home or, um, and you have a lot of these dry goods, if it doesn't taste good, <laughs> you're not going to eat it. And then you're going to end up wasting and you're going to be hungry and all that. So having um, something to really add flavor and variety uh, is also super, super important as we're um, relying more on <clears throat> on those dry goods. And then Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Especially when we have to cook, as I said, like 3000 times a day, <laughs> a little right. bit exaggerated, but <laughs> yeah. And I, just one last thing I would say is um, to 
also really be careful or really be mindful or con conscious about um, healthy snack choices. So I think a lot of people were having um, a hard time if you're at home more, maybe it's like more mindless kind of um, stress eating and things like that that are completely understandable. Um, but there's a lot of uh, super um, nutritious and, and also environmentally friendly snack choices um, that will be, you know, <clears throat> better for you in terms of your your health, but also from a again immune system standpoint. Um, so things like dried fruit uh, or um, you know popcorn is a whole grain <laughs> that is delicious. And um, so some people I think are surprised when they hear that because it feels like maybe an indulgent um, or or you know it, it actually has a lot of, of value. Uh, and when we mentioned fiber, it's it's really the gut microbiome that. Um, you know, feed your gut is the hashtag uh, if you've ever played around with that, but it, it's really about um, kind of nurturing that, that um, good bacteria, that community of, of good bacteria in the gut that's tied to, um, to a healthy immune system as well. Wow, very interesting. Yeah, so I uh, wanted to switch gears a little bit. And um, the next question that we want to discuss, and I think it's super important, especially as we're thinking about reducing food waste in general, is how to uh, read labels for packaged food and expiration dates. One interesting fact that I heard uh, from our friends at Imperfect Foods is that expert estimate that standardizing how we use date label labels could save over 700 million pounds of food from going to waste every year. Uh, I was wondering if you're familiar with this number and what are your thoughts on this are? Well, I, I hadn't heard that number exactly. That That's a great um, statistic to have on hand, but I am well aware that by far the most um, helpful thing that we could do uh, when it comes to those labels is uh, pass this legislation that's been um, put forward for quite a while, but the, it's just been um, sidelined. And that is to create a two label scheme. Um, so the one for quality and one for safety because right now we have a really confusing really um ineffective system for sell by dates whereas we it's not standardized and it's not about safety it's understandable that we think it means it's an expiration date but the vast majority of products can be enjoyed um well past the sell by dates sometimes even weeks past the dates um and or longer in the case of many canned goods uh and so we really need that that standardized labeling uh, in order to give consumers the clarity, um, because right now what happens is that it's actually about standards of product taste or texture, you know, generally as quality attributes that the manufacturer wants you to experience with the product. The other thing that's confusing, I find, is that sometimes products go bad before the sell-by date, um, in the case of more like prepared foods in your refrigerator. And so then you have to actually just be on the lookout using your, you know, sometimes I'm so, I've had this in the past, I'm so blindly doing the date that I toss in a fresh ravioli and oh my God, there's mold, <laughs> you know, I'm putting it into the, the pan of, of boiling hot water and I, I'm, we're, we're often sort of out of practice with using our, our eyes and, and nose to, you know, sniff out the milk that's off or look for, check for mold. Um, so it's, in the meantime, until legislation does put a better system in place, we do have to rely on those kind of, you know, common sense. Um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if it doesn't smell good, if it does, the next one, if it doesn't look good, uh, and then maybe even taste a little bit. But yeah, it's just like such a, you know, simple regular tips that our grandmothers used to do all the time, but suddenly we have these dates on packaging and we're just kind of blindly trusting it. And again, as you mentioned, that it's actually not safety dates, you know, it's quality dates and we just end up wasting so much food because of this. Right. Well, others... and I think just, just to mm -hmm. build on that, I mean, I think that now with coronavirus is one of the biggest opportunities that people have to really change their kind of household food waste systems. Um, food waste, I'm guessing you've talked about that on on this show, but if you haven't, just a brief like follow up to statistic to your to yours is that if food waste were a country, it would be the third largest emitter of greenhouse gas emissions after China and the United States, and <laughs> that's wild, right? And so the other big thing I love to to, to share is that in a list put together by Project Drawdown of the 80 most effective solutions for reversing global warming. Number three most effective is wasting less food. And that shows you that number four is eating plant-rich diets, which I, I just touched on before. That's 
flexitarian, plant-forward, plant-centric, et cetera. Um, and, and what that really shows you is the, how many resources go into getting a food to your pantry. The, the growing, the, the uh, harvesting, the processing, the milling, the transporting, the packaging, uh, the storing, sometimes in refrigeration, in freezing, in, on shelves, getting it then to your doorstep. All of those resources are lost, not to mention when the food is wasted. If it does not go to compost, it emits methane emissions from landfill. So this is such a big lever for climate action that I, ho I hope people find very empowering. Um, and, and yes, we have a lot of barriers like the, the, the sell by scheme that we talked about, but there's so many great hacks going on now um, through Instagram and, and you know, all types of um, chefs out there who are giving great recipe suggestions for cooking with scraps and, and things like that. Um, but definitely food waste reduction deserves extra attention, especially now that we have, at the same time that we're wasting 40% of the food in the United States, 40 million Americans are going hungry. And that's before COVID. Just new numbers released this week are estimating 70 million food insecure Americans. I mean, this is a serious crisis. Guess what though? If we redistributed just a third of that food that we waste in the US, we would feed all the hungry people. So it's not about feeding, about growing more food. It's about getting it to the right, getting it to people who need it. Um, so it's just to say that it's a great tool for climate action. It's also um, a particularly opportune time for sh shifting the system. Absolutely. And I think to kind of build on what you just mentioned about this being a great time for people to rethink their sort of home food consumption systems. I wonder if you had any tips for people who are looking to get started with this optimization or people who maybe potentially um, are not even really familiar with cooking. Like, you know, where should people start? Um, I think that would be extremely helpful right. for our listeners so, to know. Definitely. So let's just uh, start with the food waste uh, examples couple of systems. This is going to sound so obvious, but get in the habit of making a shopping list. <laughs> that sounds like, of course, but surprisingly few people use lists. Um, and this is a great way to avoid impulse buys. And what it does is it makes sure that you have an intended use for every single item that you buy. And this involves sometimes meal planning. So maybe one step back from making a shopping list is actually meal planning. And this is not only the case for during this crisis, but in the long term, um, it's incredibly important. Hey, Laura, I was talking to your mom the other day and she mentioned your birthday was coming up. She's thinking about getting you a piece of jewelry, but she knows it's hard to find something that looks great and is ethically made. And I was like, haven't you been listening to our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I know how she feels. It's honestly been a challenge for me to reconcile my love of diamonds with the fact that they're not always from sustainable sources. So I was really excited when we started partnering with the creators of a new way to wear gorgeous jewelry without the guilt. Diamond Nexus is the creator of the Nexus Diamond Alternative, a sparkly ethical option that costs up to 80% less than mine diamonds. That's amazing. I'm sure your mom will be glad to give you a gift that is kind to the planet and to her wallet. <laughs> well, if you're looking for an affordable, ethical piece of jewelry, we've got you covered. Good Together listeners can get an additional 5% off their purchase, even the pieces on sale, with code GOOD5 at diamondnexus.com slash goodtogether. The Brightly team is usually based in the beautiful Bay Area, but when we found out that we got into the Yellow Accelerator program, thanks for believing in us, Snapchat, we are on the hunt for a new place to live for a few months in sunny LA. If there's one thing we love to do on Good Together, it's researching ethical and sustainable options, and Lisa and I were excited to learn more about and partner up with Zeus Living. Zeus provides beautiful homes for 30-day stays or more in the best locations, including LA, San Francisco, Seattle, DC, New York, Boston, and more. Plus, they stock every unit with toiletries from one of our favorite brightly recommended brands, Public Goods. Zeus also works with local artisans to furnish their units when possible, and honestly, staying in an Instagrammable space that takes care of everything for us couldn't have come at a better time as we work to scale up brightly. Hassle-free setup, ethical amenities, and a mission to change the way you stay 
long-term around the United States makes Zeus a fabulous partner for us at Good Together. To learn more, visit ZeusLiving.com. Actually, was going to ask you really quick. Do you have a um, a uh, an app or a, a, a favorite tool that you use for meal planning? Because we get that oh all gosh, the time. <laughs> that's a good question. I wish I did so I could I could answer it for you. No, I use a whiteboard. Um, just like a Monday through. Friday. <laughs> wow. Well, Sophie, we're going to have to call you up and be like, what is Sophie planning and eating? Wednesday. Because I would love that, that list. <laughs> I know there are a lot of apps. Um, I, I would guess also, I actually don't know this, but I would guess that a lot of the recipe sites also have built-in tools, like maybe all recipes or yummy, or I'm honestly not sure, but I would think that they have that kind of overlay. Um, and what I also, so, so that's like, meal planning is super, super important. I'll definitely go look up like best apps after this. So I have a better answer. Um, but whatever it is, it can be chicken scratch on a post-it note. It can be a fancy Excel sheet, like whatever, you know, get revs your engine, um, in meal planning. Um, and, and then, uh, with that, one of the things I really think is important is build in leftovers into your meal plan. Like okay, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is the day we eat all the stuff in the fridge that we haven't already eaten. Um, some people That's a great tip. waste mm -hmm. less Wednesdays or stir fry Fridays is like kind of grab bag. I also on the, I plan Saturday morning, um, breakfast to be just like whatever is there plus eggs. So like the leftover, exactly. um, <laughs> exactly. That's um, you know, the leftover half of an onion and plus like the two green onions that I didn't eat or plus, you know, the one carrot that didn't go in the other recipe, whatever is leftover. Um, with the meal planning too, I think it's helpful to start to think about the end of one meal as the start of another meal, um, in terms of scraps. The second thing that's super, super important is when you are, um, so composting is obviously super helpful. Um, but in general, the further upstream is like a general rule of thumb. Um, so just, w w um, buying less that that's why the meat, the, the most, the most, uh, effective step for you as a family is, uh, at the point of purchase. And that both is with ordering and takeout, um, delivery right now, but also in, at grocery versus just, oh, I composted it. Uh, it's still, um, there's a great diagram actually, if you're not familiar with it called the food waste recovery hierarchy. Have you ever seen this from EPA? Yeah, so it's this inverse triangle. We should link to it afterwards, and, and that's what I'm referring to. And it and it's just shows you how, um, you know, root causes of, of waste um, further upstream are far better than just getting it to the right, uh, you know, place in the waste stream. So, anyways, the, the, that's to, to the power of, of shopping list and meal planning. Um, then in your fridge, this is going to sound also very obvious, but is very important. Make food visible. So, <laughs> so I've, I've heard some people have a special part of the refrigerator that is, um, like eat this now I'll often put for my husband, Love it. I'll put little post-it notes, like this is your lunch tomorrow, you know, especially for husbands. I mean, you have to make sure they know. I literally just texted my husband like an hour ago and was like, don't forget the pho that's for you today. Okay. Um, I mean, he's in two rooms over, so, but I had to do that because he's got lots of calls and that won't, you know, won't get eaten otherwise. And, and it's that sinking feeling where you're like, I totally meant to eat those leftovers, but if you didn't visible. Um, so having a system in your fridge of like, this is the most perishable, kind of like we were saying with the perishable meal planning, but also there's perishable consumption in the fridge. Um, another really important one is to love your freezer. Uh, almost anything can be frozen. And one of the things I do is, is get into habit of, okay, I have a, an item, let's say a whole loaf of bread. Before I just put it away from, from you know, the groceries came in, thinking, is there any way we're going to eat this entire loaf in the next like two days? Probably not. I'm going to take half the loaf and first thing, put it in the freezer. Um, so are there those kind of um, sub steps before as you're um, organizing your kitchen? Um, and then the, the other one that's really important is of the food that you waste, what is most important is to not waste red meat in particular. That is because of the extra high environmental footprint, carbon and water in particular, that are behind, in particular, ruminant forms of red meat. So those are um, beef, goat, lamb, um, but any types of red meat really have extra high water footprints. 
Um, and those are mammals, so pork, beef. Yeah. So uh, how are you shopping for food right now? I'm curious if you have, uh, you know, besides the websites and the whiteboard, uh, do you have any delivery services you're using, uh, any other tools, or maybe you have tips for how you sh uh, we should be thinking about, you know, getting uh, takeout food uh, right now? Yeah, um, I am, I think like a lot of people, you know, it's definitely harder to find, find things. Um, I, I have been using um, Instacart, uh, again, like many people, um, to shop from, uh, like a, it's called PCC, I'm in Seattle right now, um, but it's... I love PCC, I used to be, um, I lived in Seattle for a few years, I'm, oh I miss it's it every day. amazing grocery <laughs> store, it really is. And it's, you know, it's called a community market and it's part of why I like to shop from there is I really, it really does feel like a, a hub of the community. Um, so I much prefer to go there in person. I still have been going, I kind of alternate weeks, um, with delivery and, and going there in person. So, that, um, one of the things I For like sure. about that, and actually this is kind of a general tip too, which is that with conscious eating, it's also really helpful just if you've picked a grocery store who, where the store aligns with your values, what's great about that is a lot of the time they've done the work for you. Um, they've made choices to support organic or fair trade or um, in the case of Whole Foods Market especially they have a really strong animal welfare uh, gap uh, certification program um, seafood watch for the seafood so that's just a side note in terms of the decision fatigue part of things is that sometimes it's like curated um, it, depending on where you're shopping from so anyway I am um, getting a lot of delivery from, from PCC in terms of takeout um, and I should say PCC is rather expensive. Um, so I don't, um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm mindful of which items I'm, I'm shopping from there versus kind of more staples and, and things. Um, Actually, I'm going to ask really quick because that, that just like springs a question to my mind. So if somebody's on a limited budget right now, which most people are, um, mm -hmm. is there like one item or two items that you could recommend people splurge on versus, um, you know, potentially like where should people actually like concentrate the dollars um especially if they are shopping from a place that's a bit more expensive yeah that's a great question well maybe i'll just start with a couple of items where i think it's less critical um well i never mind i'll answer your question <laughs> i think i think the um the sort of more specialty um local produce items I, that's where I just personally um, spend a bit more. For uh, sure, right? It's going to taste better. It's it's grown closer to home. It's a bit more sustainable in that part, right? Yeah, and it's often more flavorful. Um, it's often, but it, but I, I I also don't necessarily do that every day. Like it might be one item per week. Um, and then I have like a whole bunch of other frozen produce that's super, uh, by the way, buying organic frozen produce is that one of the main ways that I buy organic affordably. Um, and it also lasts forever <laughs> in the freezer. Um, That's great. So then the, you know, I look looking for ways to, to get those more premium items at a, at a budget. So local, um, when it's in local often also means it's in season and that can actually be less expensive to buy items that are seasonal. Um, so just depends on the item. Um, the other thing I would say is it's particularly important to allocate your extra dollars in um, foods, in animal-based foods. So grass-fed or pasture-raised beef and treat that as an indulgence, um, you know, more of lobster uh, in terms of special occasion versus, you know, just the bottom of the barrel industrial, um, you know, factory farm type of beef uh, or red meat that is not going to cost a lot. Um, but has all kinds of, of problems. So it's it's both that you can splurge on it, but less less frequently. Um, and that's where environmentally you're having the biggest bang for your buck. And then the fact that it is considered kind of to yourself a, a special treat, um, you know, will mean that you're not consuming it all the time. And that's going to do great things for your health. 
Hmm. Yeah, that's a, my guess was um, like, and that's how I'm thinking, maybe correct if I'm wrong, is that, um, yeah, like I usually tend to splurge on like fresh meats and seafood. And, and just because I'm spending more on it at Whole Foods, I also make sure that these are the first things that I eat without freezing. Just uh, right. I am assuming that the taste is much better and I am getting all the nutrition uh, that I need. Um, as much as possible. Yes. And that exactly, the other thing I, I mean, that was going to be my third example was going to be seafood is because there's so much um, mislabeling um, in the seafood industry, meaning that it's sold as something that it's not actually. Um, there's so much uh, overfishing that if you go to, right, like a whole food market or wherever you, it is, um, and you know that it's sustainably caught or sustainably farmed, um, it is going to, to likely cost more, but that is exactly right. It, you know, you're going to make sure you use it um, and, and don't waste it. And, and then it will be really a special treat. So definitely those um, meats, seafood, um, and then kind of the, the specialty, like you know, j just now this brief window of seasonality for, for something really special, you know, that's local to your area. So last question about the seafood. Uh, we had this question from the community and something me and Laura kind of like always talk about and I, I haven't quite figured out the final answer, the final verdict is seafood. So wild caught seafood, is it more sustainable and environmentally friendly than the farmed one? Is that correct? So part of why you maybe have had so much trouble is that yeah. seafood is actually probably the most complicated food to talk about in terms of sustainability couple of reasons. The main factors in wild caught are the type of fishing gear involved um, and the basically the health of the species, the population of the species that is in question. So the, you can imagine just from a probability standpoint, the number of permutations in, in the, those factors based on all the different locations around the world. So it's incredibly difficult to say to, it's incredibly difficult to generalize like this is the best like eat this wild eat that farmed um, because it so varies by um, fisheries management practices in a certain area and then the same thing is true in um, aquaculture the term for farm raised um, fish and seafood except that in general farmed salmon is quite problematic so if you were to say is it more sustainable to to by wild salmon versus farmed salmon, yes, that is a general rule. Um, I can get into the reasons why, but with the whole rest of the gamut of, of, of the species from the sea, it is best to consult some of the uh, great consumer resources like Seafood Watch as an app that goes uh, state by state, species by species, and not only species by species, but by point of origin, which is very important. And it'll tell you, you know, this was, um, uh, just the whole breakdown that you need in order to know. And this is also where some of these, um, there's partner organizations, grocers and restaurants that only, so sorry, Seafood Watch uses a green, yellow, red rating system. And that's really helpful because then instead of knowing all the minutia, you're just looking for the, the green label. Um, that means, you know, this is the, uh, available in plenty of, um, uh, there, there's plenty of this this species and it was caught in responsible ways and when I say responsible ways one of the biggest issues is bycatch this is where um, fisher um, fishermen pull up species other than what they're targeting like birds and turtles and um, there's so much waste involved with that uh, not to mention you know harm to those animals um, there's a lot of habitat damage too with very imprecise gigantic trawl nets um, that have that um, kind of scrape the bottom of, of the, 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 the seafloor so you want to avoid those types so seafood watch helps you with that and, and with their partner organizations what is great about that is that it can be restaurants where the staff are particularly educated restaurants or grocers and they also sometimes only source green um, rated species and that's so helpful because because again, the work has been done for you. Absolutely. I like to try and order seafood when I go out to eat, when I'm at um, an ethical and sustainable restaurant to that exact point, like they've already done the hard work for you. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a question we get a lot as, as you just kind of laid out. It's, there's definitely, um, you know, gray areas, but it's, it's good to know sort of the way the ecosystem works. Um, so Sophie, I wonder if we could kind of transition into our last two questions um, that we like to typically ask our guests. So the first one is, can you share with us one of your favorite ethical brands 
or products that you're loving right now? Yes. Uh, I discovered ground up nut butters. Are you guys familiar with this one? No, I've never, I haven't heard of this one. They're, they're, um, they're small, uh, uh, women run business out of Portland, Oregon, that uh, does a beautiful assortment of nut butters, um, in all kinds of great flavors, like, um, you know, vanilla, almond, cashew butter, and, um, you know, uh, I won't even be a snickerdoodle macadamia butter. Um, so quite, wow. <laughs> Those are exotic, <laughs> exotic nut butters. <laughs> they are exotic, but they're, um, the reason that I love that product, they taste fantastic. Um, but you know, it, it, truly is one of those products that checks all three boxes of good for you, others in the planet. And the reason is nuts in general are one of the healthiest things you can possibly eat of all kinds. Um, there's tons and tons and tons of research that back that up. If you don't um, believe me, uh, it's also nuts. There's been some concern about almonds and water, but in general, nuts are actually very um, environmentally friendly, especially as a source of protein compared to um, you know, meat and, and other forms of protein. Um, and then the third thing is that the, the ground up nut butters, their model is that they are, all of their employees are women who have overcome some form of adversity. So they might have um, been you know, homeless, they may have had uh, mental illness, they may have had some other issue that they've overcome and not had the, so, so, so this, um, the, the company provides job training and really flexible uh, forms of employment to these women as a bridge to, um, to you know, more, more stability. So I love the social mission. Um, the food, t- the, the products are fantastically delicious and they happen to be super good for both human and environmental health. Great. We will check them out and we'll make sure to link to their website. Um, and so the last question uh, we'll love to ask our guests. What excites you the most about the ethical and sustainable movement right now? I know we're in a very different and new reality right now, but um, something uh, we want to leave our audience on the positive uh, side of things. And what is the si- silver lining things that you're observing right now? Yes. Oh, this has been my theme throughout coronavirus is, is finding silver linings as much as possible. I mean, there's so much um, darkness and, and what are those bright spots? So to me, a, cu- a couple of things, we've touched on it a little bit throughout this, but one is just this opportunity to kind of reset a lot of things, yep. but mm-hmm. also policy-wise, systems-wise, um, and societally, what do we value collectively? Uh, so there's so much opportunity I see in how um, quickly people are ad- changing their habits because we've had to, right? It's all of a sudden we're singing happy birthday and hand hand washing and doing new forms of greetings. And that happened in a remarkably quick time period. So to me, I'm very heartened from the standpoint of the urgency of um, particularly climate action and and some of the food related um, levers toward that that we talked about, but how with coordinated action, each of us doing our part um, in the aggregate, we can actually really, I think, um, adapt our lifestyle habits um, in in the name of what's good for you, others in the planet, um, much more quickly than I think maybe we realized we could before. And that can go a long way towards addressing what's called the triple threat of um, hunger and malnutrition, obesity, and then climate change as we talked about. So I'm very heartened by that, um, by that kind of ad- adaptive um, and collective spirit. And then also by how yeah, I think we didn't realize how adaptive we are as human yeah. beings, you know, and I think this kind of moment of crisis is definitely showing us yes, the bad, but also the good of what we're capable of. I couldn't agree more. And and I say that especially because in my profession, a lot of the things we're talking about, you know, wasting less food or shifting away from, you know, replacing red meat sometimes with, um, you know, l- more sustainable uh, protein choices. A lot of those things are often talked about as, you know, people don't want to change. You can't take things away. It's going to take a generation. Um, and, and there's just this in this sense that behavior change is hard. And it is, except look at what we're capable of. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's, that's, my, that, that's one really um, kind of point of optimism. And then the other piece is how clearly we are all interconnected as a global community. And it's this realization that what I do, my individual actions affect all of these people around me. Uh, and, and that has huge implications for 
again, collective action with respect to um, kind of the broader, you called it, you know, ethical, but just ethical, sustainable, conscious eating movement of, um, you know, if, if I'm buying less palm oil products and you are doing that too, and everyone is doing that, perhaps over time, there's a feedback to the marketplace and deforestation goes down and then <laughs> carbon gets sequestered. And you can just um, picture the, the kind of wave uh, of change that occurs uh, through that collective action by really thinking of um, not only what's best for you, but how, um, again, how interdependent we are as opposed to purely in independent. And that's a, that's a really major shift in the U.S. where we're so individual uh, and individualistic um, to be much more community oriented. And, and I think that that too could be a really exciting bright spot from this that has. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's definitely something that we've been witnessing ourselves. Um, we've been hosting these virtual coffee chats for our community and have really been blown away by the amount of people coming together to learn from each other. And then just like the, the kindness that I feel like people are showing each other is so, so impactful. And really inspiring. Um, but you know, what also was inspiring was this conversation. <laughs> I mean, truly, I'm not just saying okay. that. I think, you know, you, you drop some amazing knowledge in here. Lisa and I are just absolutely thrilled to be able to share your tips and tricks with our community. Um, and we'd love, of course, to give your book a shout out as well. Um, so, you know, Sophie has a book out called How to Be a Conscious Eater, Making Food Choices That Are Good for You, Others, and the Planet. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're really excited to let people know about that and, you know, pick it up if you want it, if they want to know more. Great. Maybe you're part of a quarantine book club. Now's a great time. <laughs> hey, why not? <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Sophie. We really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.